You win this battle, man, I soon be dead. I'll glue your face to my dick so I can fuck with your head. I got metaphors coming through my pores. You've probably never been in a battle before, so I hope you realize your mistake. There ain't no party cast of candles, this won't be a piece of cake. Put Folks, welcome to the Before Hours Podcast, an internet radio phenomenon hosted by an occasional morning person. I ask the most interesting people I know about their sleep, routine, life, love, stress, and setbacks. If you want to talk to us, you can do so. Write to us at the Before Hours Podcast at gmail.com. You could also slide into my DMs on Instagram at Bobby Sheehan, LOL. But for now, good friend, comedian, and our next guest. Welcome, Boris Kaken. How are you doing, Boris? Oh, I'm doing good. How Did are I you, say your last name correctly? No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You said it the least, not the worst way possible, mm-hmm. you know? Introduce yourself to the uh, the listeners. Boris Hyken. But you'd never, it, that's right, it starts with a silent K. Whoa. I know. But you didn't say Boris Kyken, which is what happens growing up a lot. And then they <laughs> stop themselves after they say the kike part and then be like, wait, how do I? I'm like, you already said the bad mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. They're like, I thought your name was, last name was Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Well, uh, uh, well, thank you for being on the podcast. Um we have known each other for years, so I probably should have learned your last name, but that's okay. You know what? It's very common. It's a it's a mm-hmm. theme throughout my life. Really? Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I have my last name repeatedly mispronounced as Sheeran, which has only been happening in the since last the man since yeah. that since a very ugly famous man. You also used to wear your hair longer and cut it short since then. Just yeah, that's true. It's causing problems. Yeah, but this is just me thinking out loud, dude. How are you? I'm good. You were on an airplane recently. I was. I was in Asheville, North Carolina. Did a couple shows there. Took the wife and baby on the road, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a good time. Yeah, it was my wife's good friend moved out there. So it was kind of an ideal situation to try to bring my wife and toddler to a headlining weekend. They... um, we stayed at my wife's friend's place. She mm-hmm. had a neighbor who had a 17 year old who babysat so that mm-hmm. they could all come out to the show, to one of the shows. Mm-hmm. It's great. Hell yeah, dude. You were one of those guys that does comedy and then had a baby and then didn't quit. Yeah. I could think of a handful of folks like that. And yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if it's something to be proud of or <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's prideful in the world of comedy and maybe shameful. My in the wife world of... is begging me to stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, obviously she's very supportive if she's willing to fly to another state mm. with our baby to do that. And Asheville dude is, is it like, it's the new cool, it's the cool place in the South. Is my it's pretty hip. It's true. Mm-hmm. They got a nice little mini Brooklyn going on in the middle of uh, an otherwise different state. Hell yeah. But every city's got one now. Oh, okay. Every state in the South has their own little Brooklyn that's like a little more nutty than Brooklyn usually because they're responding to the other nuttiness around them that's very conservative. Oh, know? yeah. Damn. So, yeah, it's it's fun. There's a good portion of blue hair throughout the Southern cities. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Dude, I... um. Well, I don't know. I I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn now, which is like you described. It's yeah, it's like, the Brooklyn of Brooklyn. <laughs> it's the Brooklyn of Brooklyn, and it's very like I I was in a coffee shop uh, this morning actually, and I uh, um, felt everyone being like, "What's up with this guy?" You know what I mean? <laughs> like I was a little too hyper masculine for the comedy shop uh, for the. For the comedy shop, it was a Freudian slip. For the coffee shop yeah. that I was in, it was which is saying something because you're not. Uh, no, no offense, dude. I'm gay. You're not everywhere a particularly hyper mad. You're not feminine either. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel. I mean, we're on like similar. We're both like small dudes. You're mm-hmm. not like a guy who walks into a coffee shop and people are like, "Is he going to start trouble around?" Right. Here? Yeah, but they're they're just they just feel the cis on me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I have a joke about a Brooklyn coffee shop because there's a real, in my neighborhood, they had one that says our regular milk is oat milk. Uh So I have a joke about ordering my coffee with cis milk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It was also, it's one of those places where everybody that works there seems annoyed that I'm patronizing their business. Yeah. Which I think is a weird vibe. Yeah, that's sort of just an employees of a coffee shop thing. Yeah. Yeah, they hate capitalism, so... But they have to participate in it. Yeah, I know. It's mm-hmm. um doesn't pull the rug out from under anything. So I grew up in the uh uh punk rock scene, I guess like in high school. In high school, I didn't play sports or participate in any extracurricular activities besides smoking weed and going to punk rock shows. Yeah. And I met a lot of like these punk kids that refused to like 
go to college or even get like a part-time job at a supermarket because like fuck the system man and then i found out later their dad is like a lawyer or something right you have to be able to do that you have to be able to disconnect <laughs> it's just so funny they're like yeah i'm sort of outside the mainstream but like my dad like helps me out but like fuck him he's like working for the man but i'm not working for the man yeah i'm getting money from a guy that's working for the man well you know marks did it too so that's true. He was was he a nepo baby? A little bit. He was living off of um, was it Engels, uh, whoever he was like studying with or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, he was living off of, like published works from that guy. And he did. He I also hear that he was a deadbeat father. Marx. Yeah. You know what's funny? Um, I don't know how he is as a father, mm -hmm. but I went on a date <clears throat> with a girl in uh, college who was the like great 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 granddaughter of Karl Marx and her last name was Marx but I did not put two and two together obviously why would I expect that right and then she like asked me oh so what's your background I'm like well we left the Soviet Union she's like why I'm like well you know not to get overly complicated but yeah. uh the country was ruined by a certain economic system and she's like oh that's my great great grandfather <laughs> So she's like, it's not actually not that bad. And you're trying to fuck her. So you're like, yeah, I guess. You yeah, know? I'm a communist now. <laughs> I went on a date with a girl from Kazakhstan. Which is how a lot of people become communists, by the way. Really? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily for getting pussy, but for staying alive. Oh, I meant for getting pussy. Oh, really? <laughs> it's also how a lot of people become capitalists. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of people. Um, I. Oh. I almost said majority, and that's not fair. But a lot of people belong to an ideology that is convenient for where they are, their body currently is. Yeah, it's a geographic thing mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, um, not me. I'm in Bushwick being hypermasculine. You know yeah, I mean? baby. <laughs> Just uh, dominate that coffee shop. Have you have you seen the posters around that says like, "Are you a communist? Get organized!" And it's a literal picture of Karl Marx. No, I have not seen those. They, they're like they're all over Brooklyn, and what's funny is like they've been getting teared down because in Brooklyn there is a baby. Because he was kidnapped by Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little known fact is Marx is still alive, and he's uh, he's in a tunnel underneath the El Shifa Hospital. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's so. Funny. That was a. Uh, that made me laugh. I was talking to a uh, a comic uh, who, because we were referencing, I mean, for people that don't know, uh, in New York City, um, it's funny. New York seems to be like the ideological battleground of like anything that's happening. You know New I mean? York or maybe San Francisco a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, as, as soon as like the October 7th uh, attack happened, there was like... Um, the like posters of of Israeli hostages, sort of like spreading aware, awareness that like actual people are involved in this, and it's not just like the big bad Israeli government, which is what some people think. You right, know what right. I mean? And in response, like I would say, for the most part, very far left uh, Brooklynites or Manhattanites are like tearing down the posters. Which you gotta. I think at that point, when you're tearing down a picture of like a mother and a child, you have to be like. I know I'm real charged up about something, but am I on the right side here? You right. know what I mean? Am I the bad? We said we wouldn't get into politics, but oh, I will. I will say because I have friends, I discuss this stuff with a lot, and I try to give the most benefit of the doubt. And I do think if you're a person that's not, didn't learn about this yesterday, mm -hmm. but has been like passionately advocating on a particular side for a long time, mm -hmm. I could see how someone might frame that as political propaganda to because it's. You're not, none of those hostages are here. Mm. So you're not really advocating for someone. It's not like putting a missing dog poster up in terms of like someone can practically do something about it. Like you mm. said, it's to raise awareness. Mm. I could see the argument for like, you know, this is to them propaganda for a particular war movement or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what a tremendous amount of empathy. I try. I try <laughs> to go with it. Honestly, just because I have, uh, you know, between Brooklyn and Jersey, I get both sides of the spectrum all the time. And okay. I, I like, I kind of like it. I like mediating a little bit like that and mm -hmm. trying to find that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we should, uh, for people unaware, we should, because you uh, referenced that you grew up in the Soviet Union? I did. Okay. So. Well, I grew, I, I was seven when I came here. So uh -huh. in what is now Ukraine, but at the time was uh, the soon to be collapsing Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so your parents are Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian Jews. Yeah, so that that's the that's the caveat sort of that you mm. need because when you live like all our all your paperwork said Jew, that's kind of why we were able to come to leave is uh, 
not to get into a ton of history, but right. funny enough, what enabled Jews to leave the Soviet Union was a negotiation that I think started with the formation of Israel that was mm. basically, uh, you know, you can you can let them leave now if you don't want them there type of thing. Um, and then we obviously didn't go to Israel. We came to America. But uh, in all of the Soviet Union, you were very much like geographically oriented with your ethnicity. And if you were Jewish, no matter where you were, it said Jew on your paperwork. And so there were limits on like how many Jews could go to university and how many Jews could be in like particular places and things like that. Jesus Christ, this is, you're having people on their government paperwork, it says Jew on it. And it this is in the I aftermath. Have, I, have, I still have paperwork that says Jew on it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, our Soviet, the stuff that was translated here, yeah. Oh, that's, that's why. I mean, this is in the aftermath of the Holocaust. You still yeah. have, there's still, the Soviet Union is like, we should, we should say on people's government papers that they're Jewish. That's wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> we got we're gonna get to your morning routine soon don't worry yeah but, uh, <laughs> well you know there's a soviet union's got its own complicated history in terms of treatment of jews and mm -hmm. also jewish involvement in various aspects of politics there mm -hmm. i mean i could teach a class i'm wholly unqualified for <laughs> oh i'm sure folks are doing that right now oh yeah <laughs> so you're uh okay so you're 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 very young and your parents are like, we should leave Ukraine, which is still part of the Soviet Union. Well, it was a time when you were starting to be able to leave. So there, there were different waves of migration, but okay. it wasn't like that easy to leave. Mm -hmm. And then um, at a certain point late into Gorbachev's term, he started what they call like Pitestroika, which is basically where they like started loosening certain laws. When I went to school there, you know, we had pictures of Lenin and you called him Grandpa Lenin oh, and you in public wouldn't normally like speak badly of anything to do with that stuff. And there's a, my parents remind me of this, that I went to my dad's work at one point. My dad worked at a TV studio in Odessa where we lived. And it's, you know, if you work anywhere, you work for the government. Like that's your, the way you quit, the way we moved, we left is they quit their jobs, which is becoming a defector. When you quit your job, that's you leaving the system essentially, because you work for the government. So uh, at the time I'd overheard something that my parents said privately and they were putting up another portrait of Lenin, or maybe it was somebody else that I'd recognized. And I was like, repeated whatever I'd heard at home where I was like, oh, why do they got this assholes, whatever up. And it was enough of an environment by then where that person took me and brought me to my dad and kind of like flagged to him what I'm doing rather than an earlier time period where it probably would have been very, very bad for my dad. Holy shit. That's wild. Yeah. Damn. And so if you had said that maybe a few years earlier. Five years earlier. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. It's, and to hear stories like that. And this is like in the, in the early, what is early nineties? When did this happen? This is late eighties. Late, late Yeah. To think that there's a, there's a place where you were like, yeah, if your kids repeat something you said bad about fucking. Well, that was a big uh, that was how they accomplished a lot of it. It was mm -hmm. a lot of kids turning their parents in. That's how a lot of cultural revolutions function as you get to the kids ideologically. Damn, that that is wild. Okay, so you you started, you left. I'm curious why, I don't know if you know the answer, why you guys came to the U.S. instead of Israel. Well, I can tell you the answer. So one of the top reasons, first of all, that my parents wanted me out of there is they did not want me to be obligated to fight in the military for a country that I might not align with uh, in whatever way. Mm -hmm. And so there was mandatory military service in the Soviet Union at the time, and there was man there still is mandatory military service in Israel, and mm -hmm. you know pros and cons of it, whatever. But uh, we're not a fighting people uh, in that sort of way, generally speaking. Okay, and so. They actually, so 89 was when the wall fell and that was when it was a little bit easier to leave. And, but there were still like particular migration laws, chain migration is what they called it at the time where like, depending on your like chain of relatives, certain degrees of closeness justified coming over to join them in that country. Mm. And so we were going to move to America and Frank Lautenberg, I know this specifically because I remember my parents cursing his name, changed something in the migration law where we were no longer able to come to America. And so we were going to move to Israel in around 1989, late 1989, and my mom became pregnant with my younger brother. My grandma was a pediatric doctor in uh, Russia, in Ukraine, 
and whoof, bad, bad one to mix up now. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, and so my mom decided to stay and have my brother there because she felt comfortable. She knew my grandma would be there and all that. Mm-hmm. And during the time that she had my brother, they were able to work out a way through like my grandma's, my grandma remarried and his other daughter was in America and they came over. And so through that, they were able to like fill out the paperwork properly and be able to gain entry into America. I see. So we were very close to moving to Israel because there just weren't that many other options and their mm. priority was getting out of Ukraine while you still could. Yeah. Um, interesting. I uh, The Freudian slip you had where you, where you said <laughs> Russia instead of Ukraine. Yeah, someone's going to clip that and go, see? Well, you know what? My That's the other thing that people don't realize is my whole time growing up, first of all, I speak Russian, mm-hmm. which a lot of Ukrainians, if you weren't in particular regions, because mm-hmm. first of all, it was intentionally Russified, Um, But also like when it was the Soviet Union, people were shipped all over the place. So you could have gone to college in one place, but you'd be assigned to work elsewhere or you could go to college in Moscow, even though you grew up in Odessa. And like it was just a lot of like the government moving you where they were centrally planned. They decided that you should be moved to. Mm -hmm. So you sort of like ended up speaking Russian and then they de like removed a lot of the Ukrainian language and culture. And as we were leaving, they were voting on whether to like teach Ukrainian in schools and stuff like that. And I think my parents, like they didn't really give a shit. They were just like, yeah, sure, do it. You know what I mean? Now that we're out of here, um, I can like understand Ukrainian roughly, but Mm -hmm. it's not, it's like maybe a little bit closer than Spanish and uh, Portuguese. I think a little bit closer. Okay. Yeah. In terms of similarity. Yeah. But my whole life growing up here, people would, most people didn't know Ukraine and they'd Mm -hmm. be like Russia and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Because it didn't matter. You know, it's there. That's the other part of like how this war ended up happening is um, it wasn't just Putin, but a lot of people sort of underestimated the national identity that sort of reformed in the past 20 years in Ukraine and Mm -hmm. the parts of it that were. Um, you know, people talk about like coups and whatnot, but there's a lot of organic movement in order to join Europe and to join the West. And culturally, it is closer to Europe. And so culturally, there was a little bit more of just a mentality that like the other half of this that people don't realize is the mentality of like the Russian people is just so different in terms of like enabling a democratic system and a market system and like you know, people thought there'd be like capitalism in Russia and didn't realize that it became just everybody stealing whatever they could steal, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me to see uh, the reaction on social media. And of course, I'm in a New York bubble. Um, So like the reactions I'm seeing uh, on people's like Instagram stories, for example, is not like how people on the whole uh, feel in the country. But there seem to be... uh, three camps. There was like the, the pro Ukrainian side and then sort of like, again, this like leftist side of like America bad. So whatever is against America is good. So, you know, and, uh, I'll be honest. I didn't with Ukraine specifically, I probably saw that end up rising more on the right than on the left. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just because Putin's like the strong man leader and started using a lot of the terminology that kind of registered with a lot of the red pill crowd in Mm -hmm. terms of like, uh, family units and it's stuff that's like not sincere at all. I mean, like the guy has a long history of like, you know, telling George Bush that he's a Christian, like just ridiculous stuff that like appeals that Bush also kind of fell for at the time. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, stuff that he has a decent awareness of like what's going to appeal culturally to certain elements in America. I think, um, I think something that the populist left and right share is like a, a, a sort of like almost uh, isolationism based on nihilism, though. You yeah, know what I mean? it's um, demoralization. I think is the term for it, and it's a an explicit KGB multi generational tactic to <laughs> destroy the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because it, it's interesting to me because people will be like, because uh, um, isolationism to me is like just untenable. Like it just like we live yeah. in a like a. Uh, like a global We live community. in a society. We live in a society, damn it. You know, I remember listening to a podcast. Uh, oh, I think it was when Shane Gillis was talking about Vietnam with, um, uh, what's his name? Who, who, oh, this is going to bother me. Who's the fucking guy? Joe Rogan? No. <laughs> oh, but people are probably screaming at their phones. Is right it someone now. who's, who like would have been around for Vietnam? No, but it's, uh, I, well, he was a kid during Vietnam. Um, uh, Hey Connor, can you, can you Google Shane Gillis, Vietnam guest? 
Thank you so much. It's gonna. It's uh, Colin Quinn. Thank you. Oh, god damn it! I was gonna. Oh, I'm turning into an old man that can't remember comedians that I love. Yeah, but he's uh, great. During that podcast, Shane, Shane Gills was talking about the domino theory, and he was like, kind of, because he fits into that. Like, I remember uh, he he googled like we should, sarcastically we should give more money to Ukraine, like as if it's just like a frivolous thing that we're doing for fun. Right, right. You know what I mean? So like, I think he said he was kind of shitting on domino theory. Um, and I, I still don't know how I feel about an intervention in Vietnam, but he was saying like, oh, they were saying like, if Vietnam falls to communism, then Thailand and Cambodia and Laos will fall to communism. And it's like, who gives a shit? I'm like, I do. What the fuck, man? Right. <laughs> I mean, there's like, you do. Well, you, you just can't apply that logic of, you know, not to shift subjects, mm -hmm. but, uh, you, you mentioned like in terms of isolationism, mm -hmm. I just think you can't apply something like that, like blanket, mm -hmm. you know, you have to look at the specifics of the situation and obviously Vietnam didn't work out so hot, but I think it's a legitimate concern. Like you said, in terms of like, <laughs> there's, there's a power projection mm -hmm. that you have to have. And that's, that actually can keep you from entering wars, you know, yeah. and sometimes, having a war in one particular place can save lives. But, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's cliche at this point to say it. I I think there's like, I get the sentiment, but I think there's nothing more useless than someone being like, war is bad. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Well, okay. it's, it's like a, uh, what is it? Um, uh, that expression that like, what is that? Something times make mm -hmm. strong men, strong men make good soft times or I don't know. It's not soft. It's not We're, good. It's getting soft and hard. Yeah. yeah. A lot good of getting times soft and hard. make hard men. Oh, no, it's like bad strong times make hard men make, make good, hard. strong men, strong men make good times. We good times it. make weak men, weak men make bad. Times it's, or it's like, if you love Jocko Willink, you love that. Quote. Oh yeah. Well, it's a, <laughs> it is a privilege to have yeah. that kind of idealism. And I do think like, I was sort of like very atheist libertarian militantly in high school and mm -hmm. like maybe early college. Same. <laughs> yeah, we have similar origin stories. Mm -hmm. And I did became disillusioned with a lot of like kind of rigid ideology in that sense. I definitely more, I'm still atheist, I guess, but I'm much more like, I don't pick arguments with my college roommates anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but like also, um, where was my train of thought going here? Oh, well, for me, you know what actually popped me out of it was when New York banned smoking in bars. I was very like, I don't smoke. I've never smoked cigarettes. But I was so like, who is the government to tell people what their private business, who can and can't smoke? And then it happened. I was like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> this is so much better. Mm -hmm. And the amount of people that seems to plummet in smoking rates in a way that like 30 years of anti-smoking propaganda did not do nearly as effectively mm -hmm. as just banning the shit in bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it's very hard to line that up with a neat ideology because uh, it's very hard to say that that's bad. It's good. It's obviously good. Mm -hmm. It's good they don't smoke in bars anymore. I always describe myself because I'm sober. I would say I'm a millennial alcoholic, which means I don't smoke and I've never smoked because that would mean leaving the bar. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find a recovering alcoholic who's a boomer or gen x who doesn't smoke because they were used to smoking at the bar yeah well that i i, I guess there's some um I, I i don't want to name the person but i do know somebody but they drink a lot of coffee that's the flip side the coffee thing is big yeah, yeah. yeah. what a god coffee or cigarettes you got that is that's something. one of the three that's true yeah yeah well to me it's comedy baby Mm. and jacking off <laughs> so god <laughs> yeah. i think about god while i'm jacking off so you come over to the u.s when you're seven yeah i turned seven like right after we came here and so you do you speak any english did not speak any english oh that's uh, so what was that like i had to go to a different elementary school that was further away because the one closest to us did not have esl mm -hmm. and then i did esl for i think first second maybe Part of, the, I think first and second, I think by third grade, I'd went to the closer elementary school. Okay. Yeah. So it, so it took like two years. Two years and, you know, like exposure at home and stuff like that, like watching American TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is kind of incredible. Like when you're young, uh, how, cause I, anytime I talk to like children of immigrants, they're like, yeah, it took a little while and we're good. 
you know? Yeah. Once you're immersed and you're a kid and you kind of don't know that like it could be easier if this wasn't happening, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it just, you just go with the flow and it works. There, it's really hard when you're an adult. Yeah, dude, I, I could imagine. And there has to be this sort of like, yeah, I guess when you're seven, you're young enough to be like, well, this is where I live now and not maybe have the thought of like, this is fucking bullshit. That Can we, we go to back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure kids do say stuff like that. And for mm -hmm. my parents, I'm sure my parents took some English classes, but funny enough, it was like British English. Oh yeah. And so there'd be certain weird little picadillos that they'd have mm -hmm. when they'd come over where they'd use a, di a word they don't use here or mm -hmm. like an odd pronunciation Boris, or something. put on your trousers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> don't forget to bless the queen before yeah. we leave. <laughs> <laughs> Spelling color with a U and all that. Yeah. All that silly stuff those folks do over there. Yeah. Goofballs. Um, yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah. So that's interesting. So you, what is that experience like? Uh, and I'm sure there's like gaps in your memory because you're only seven. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, but like uh, you walk into a, it's an ESL classroom. Are there, pe are there kids from like all over the world there? Is there a Ukrainian? Oh man, I don't. Community? I honestly yeah. don't remember that at all. I have like a few scattered, distinct memories. Mostly things that like probably scarred me at the time, but mm -hmm. a, not a big deal now. But like very specific little things. Like I didn't know how to ask to go to the water fountain. I remember that, and so my parents gave me a bottle of water to bring to school. Uh -huh. But they gave me the bottle of water that was like a baby bottle. It still had a nipple on it, and I didn't drink from the nipple. I unscrewed <laughs> it. <laughs> And I drank from it like a regular bottle, but obviously that was not something to reason with, with the other first and second graders. So I definitely got ripped on for that. And then there's the stuff that they use for uh, like when you cut yourself in the Soviet Union called zelonka, And it's like a type of like ethanol. I'm sure it's like some sort of isopropanol or whatever that is supposed to like kill the bacteria, mm. but it's colored green for whatever reason. And it burns like hell. That's the only thing I remember is like, you cut yourself, they put that shit on your wound and it's like the tears. But I would, when I'd have cuts, my parents would put it on me and it would be green. And the kids would think I was an alien cause I bled green blood. Cause why else is there green <laughs> around my wounds? And so that was something that stuck for sure. Yeah. There, there, there's some, some little kid in the nineties thinking like the thing about Ukrainians is they green, they, they have green blood, they have green blood and they love nipples for yeah. longer than, than is appropriate. Oh, we're not all so different. Are yeah. We? <laughs> yeah, dude. I honestly love nipples too. Yeah. For longer. <laughs> than is appropriate. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't breastfed though. No. Yeah. It's very funny mm. that this has come up multiple times in the podcast. Yeah, I was. And, uh, you know, I have a whole bit about this because my mom breastfed me and her friend's baby who was not breastfed. Dude, it's crazy how much comedy I hear because I believe you that I've heard you say that before. But it's possible. I mean, it's a whole bit about my breast friend Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so your mom was a like a wet nurse to this Michael. Just fella? just to the one guy. Just to the one right? guy. She wasn't all around. She wasn't town. going through all day. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So what's this? What's this? <clears throat> what's the story behind that? Um, that's really about it. Oh, yeah, I'm not asking you to do your bit. Yeah, too. I don't. I don't. I already <laughs> felt weird saying that yeah, coffee yeah. cis milk joke. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't do the bits on the podcast or you get the Birbiglia treatment. Oh, well, you, you know what's the worst is, um, and this is a new comic thing. Uh, someone's new to comedy. You're having a conversation with them before either a show. And they're working in their and, bit. And they're, and it's like, okay, if... And they think you can't tell is the crazy and part. Get, you're there's like, a, you're, the, your cadence literally changes. I know right. what you're doing, bud. And the reason why you can tell and it changes so much is because you you don't have that comfort yet on stage mm -hmm. where your natural cadence and your stage cadence have kind of merged a little bit mm -hmm. to where you can flow between the two. Yeah. Dude, it's like... I don't know. That happened to me recently, and I was like, "Don't, please, don't do this." Yeah, I punched <laughs> Let's just her. Have a nice time. I punched her. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, to me, to me, it's it's interesting because, um, uh, like in in company of like non comedians, my identity sort of is to be a silly boy. You know, yeah, to be silly. But there is a sort when you're around a bunch of comedians, it's almost like you should taper it back a little bit because you you don't want to be known as the guy that's always on. Yeah, because we're all we're all silly geese. You know yeah, I mean? although there are some people that do that very well, I guess, and those people are usually manic. Uh, <laughs> you just got to catch them when they're off. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I feel like it gets exhausting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There's a few people I could think of where it's like, I don't know what they're actually like because they're, they almost seems like they're doing a character right the whole time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if that's how, if that's how you have to operate, that's how you have to operate. And everybody's different. Some people are just genuinely like that and it's fun and maybe a little exhausting after a while, but you kind of start to appreciate them. Mm -hmm. And then some people are uh, really mentally ill and uh, (laughs) they need help. Yeah. If you're always on and you do comedy in New York and everyone seems exhausted by your presence, consider getting help. So you moved to uh, the U.S. and you're in ESL classes. Do you remember any uh, sort of uh, like culture shock as a child or any culture shock that your parents experienced when they moved here? Um, I think if anything pops up. I mean, I'm sure there are examples, mm-hmm. but I, nothing's popping up. The baby up bottle the thing was one of them for sure. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the thing is, is that like there's certain elements of culture that we didn't participate in for a long time because like mm-hmm. when we first came here, um, my mom was working at like a, a painting, like jewelry or some some rant. They were both my parents were both engineers in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Very cliche story. Um, my dad eventually got a job, I think actually relatively early on fixing like camcorders and VCRs and stuff like that back Mm -hmm. when you would fix stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was like a big um, break for them early on because it was like, you know, I don't know at the time it must've been like 30 something grand a year or something, but that was like a decent amount of money for like having come here not that um, equipped with anything else. And my mom eventually went to school at night And so a lot of it was just like at the time we didn't go out, you know, like it was my my grandparents watching me for the most part while my parents worked and went to school. Mm -hmm. And so I remember a big one was like my dad's boss, like however many years into being here, took us out to a restaurant for the first time. It was my first time ever at a restaurant and he took us to McDonald's. And, but at the time it was awesome. I'd never yeah. been to McDonald's before. I still have like a weird fond memory of like the little plastic stirs with like the arches that they, I don't think they have anymore or whatever. <laughs> but at the time that was a big deal. And there was that. And then eventually my parents sent me to karate and I, uh, um, <laughs> it was a very funny moment. I went to karate at like a black community center mm-hmm. called uh, mini Beville community center mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And they had on the wall, all these, this isn't really culture shock, but it was a funny thing for my parents to see. On the wall, they had photos of different like famous black people throughout history. Mm-hmm. And one of the people on the wall was Alexander Pushkin, who's a famous Russian poet, but his like grandfather on one side was a portion African-American okay. or a portion African, mm. a portion black. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a definitely not African-American, mm-hmm. but a portion uh, African ancestry or something like that. And they found it funny because nobody in Russia thought of or like considered him black in any way. Yeah. Which actually, if you look at a photo, you could see it like a little bit mm. features wise or something there, but like never would they have considered it. And so to them, it was like, this is our guy. Yeah. <laughs> Where you got our guy on your wall. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a Russian person being like, he's not black. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. He can't be. It's impossible. Please, no. Yeah. yeah. No, wake me up. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, so you learn English like pretty quickly and then, um, you go, you go through school. What was high school? Like, what was your thing? Did you, did you play sports? Were you uh, not play sports? I think I was very similar when I mentioned certain, um, rigid ideologies. Mm -hmm. I think I thought sports and anything athletic was for stupid people. Yes. Yeah. I've been, uh, the listeners know I've also felt that way. Big, big error on my Mm -hmm. part. I've since like, I try to work out. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, I uh, did not do any of that until much later in life. Mm-hmm. I actually had a moment. So this girl I dated in high school, I invited to a party my freshman year, maybe my, so- I think it was my freshman year in college. She was a year younger than me. So she was a senior in high school and I was a freshman in college and I invited her to a party and I was walking in a wife beater with her and someone from a frat house yelled like, damn man, you little as hell. And it was, it really stuck with me. And I started working out pretty much after that moment. <laughs> that was, that was your fucking, uh, this changes now yeah. moment. Yeah, it really was. But I did not do any kind of athletic, anything in high school. Mm-hmm. I played guitar in a band with some friends and then eventually had to choose between joining band and doing theater. And I did theater 
And I, there was an improv group in my high school, a short form improv group. So I mm -hmm. did theater and short form improv and oh, okay. played guitar in a band. I also played guitar in a band. That's crazy. Yeah, we got parallel lives here. We really do, dude, except huh. my parents are not engineers um, and they're not from the Soviet Union. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, <laughs> can't all be perfect. Yeah, we can't all, be, we can't all be perfect. Uh, um, no, that's, uh, yeah, the, the thinking that you're too smart to take care of your body. It's crazy. Well, it's a defense mechanism, I think, because I think like very early on, I learned like junior high. I'm like, I have a small frame. This is probably as like doctor told me when I was 15. They're like, this is as tall, this is as, tall as you're going to get. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <sighs> instead of struggling in an area in my mind right. that I was never going to excel at. And also this is like, integrated with teenage angst where I'm just like, uh, you know, fuck those like dumb jocks. I'm, I'm an intellectual and I'm, I'm interested in art and music. And it's like, it's so fucking stupid, dude, because there were probably like, I'm thinking of the guy that yelled at you, man, you little as hell. I'm sure almost everyone in his life system was like, that guy's a douchebag. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't the jocks versus us. It was like a few mean football players and that's it. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's a art timeline age wise mm. uh, or it's a world timeline age wise in the sense that I'm sure this was always the case, but I wonder if culturally I see a lot more now of like people who are like just straight up nerds for fitness and the gym and stuff. Yeah. And it's probably a social media thing too, mm -hmm. but you see a lot more guys like that that are like, Oh, this guy's like very bright and also is just focused all his intelligence on like geeking out over workout shit. Yeah. And I'm sure that was always the case. And it was just people that I never spoke to. And I wonder how those guys related to the actual troglodytes in the gym. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the guys that are like actually geeking out over it versus the guys that are just there so they could like get drunk and fuck somebody that weekend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you can be both. You could be a smart muscle man who fucks women on the weekends. I imagine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you could also be, um, have disdain and think the gym is for idiots while also being a moron <laughs> yourself yes. still. Yeah. The, the quintessential, Oh, are you guys watching sports ball? Like those guys, it's right. like, well, why don't you tell me something profound then? And they're like, I think what anime are you is interested cool. in, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, cool. So you got, and you have a uh, younger brother. I got a younger brother. And is that it? That's it. Okay. All right. Cool. And so he, but he was born in America, wasn't he? No. Oh, he, he so like I said, my mom became pregnant with him and wanted to wait and have him in Ukraine before uh, we came over. Okay. Just because she felt more comfortable and safer. So yeah, he was um, mm -hmm. born in 1990 and then we came over in 1991. Oh, hell yeah. I was born in 1990. Oh, yeah. He's a 90s king, dude. There you go. That rules. So, um, and uh, now you had a kid. Now I had That's a kid. That's very exciting. We, we teased that at the beginning of the episode, but you yeah. have a baby boy. I got a baby girl. Uh, it's baby girl, folks. I, got I mean, we'll see, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's pretty problematic that you gendered your baby because like your baby's not old enough to like consent what gender they are. Yet. That's right. Yeah. So what's it like being a dad? Uh, it's fun. I, I like it a lot. I think, um, you know, there's the cliche stuff. I don't think it's as like, I'm not going to say not as profound, but not as profound in terms of like, pace of life type stuff it, it obviously is like makes it you know a little more exhausting in terms of doing comedy and certain things like that mm -hmm. but like the people that are i feel like really are like freaking out and are like you don't understand what it's like man those people were fucking on edge before they ever had a kid and this is just the new conduit through which they like no you don't get it man you know yeah and so i for the most part like I, other parents i relate to with this as well that are like that have been chill normal people that figure out ways to organize their life and balance things. They do that with a baby and it's usually not like a wrench in the works that, you mm -hmm. know, it's often the opposite of people who have fucked up lives and are like, a baby will fix this. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that I will say is I uh, love having a baby. I'm an advocate for having babies. But having had a baby, the people that I know that say that they don't want one, I am now much less likely to try to tell them to reconsider. Because it is one of those things where, like, if you don't think you want one, then, like, you should, so unless, until you're ready for it, like, you should not, nobody should be trying to convince you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Are, are you listening, mom? If my mom is listening to this episode, don't pressure people in general yeah. to have a baby if they're not ready yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's steps mm-hmm. that lead to there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, people who got to have babies, somebody's uh, I that, I think that's also the flip side of like politically and culturally things like that is like. It's just this foregone conclusion that like the rest of society is going to take care of you when you're old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's not always the case. And it's, if it is the case, it's not always the best. And for many, many millennia, the way that that happens is when you get old, people younger around you take care of you. And so there is kind of a, um, you know, sociological aspect to why I think it's a good idea. Yeah, hundred percent. We don't want to go through what Japan is going through now. No, where it's like literally like where the- a Ukrainian woman just won Mrs. Japan, like yesterday or two days ago. You're gonna have to explain more. <laughs> she came. She came to Japan when she was like six and okay. considers herself Japanese. But I'm taking her back for yeah. us. Uh, no, but yeah, she won uh, Mrs. Japan. Mrs. Japan. Oh, so like, is it like Miss America? Yeah, it's like a beauty pageant or whatever. Oh, dude. They're just not that into Asians, I think, maybe. That's, (laughs) dude, I bet you there are Japanese people upset about that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure, because they're more so, you know, America is, as much as we criticize ourselves next to Japan, Mm -hmm. we're a, you know, melting pot that welcomes other people and they become, Japan to their own detriment. They're not a melting walk at all. No, not even close. Not a melting walk. Uh, Good one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You just get up and leave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, I, I, good friend of mine, actually, his wife's Japanese and they go every year and I was talking to him about this article and he's like, yeah, no, it's not like that at all. It's very Japanese. It's still, despite the fact that they're demographically collapsing, they still are fighting, you know, any sort of change in terms of people being able to easily become Japanese citizens mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a weird one. Cause I, um, and now Ukrainians are winning their beauty pageants. Hell yeah, dude. I bet she is beautiful. I'm sure she's pretty. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what? In support of the Ukrainian people, especially those living in other countries, yeah, I'm going to jack off this. to her later. We need. <laughs> no, you're welcome. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I've never been to Japan. Never been to Ukraine. Probably not going to go anytime soon. No, probably not. Although one, once the shit goes, uh, good place. Good place to invest. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if if uh, if uh, knock on wood, like peace is ever established in Ukraine, do you have any like desire to go back and visit? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, we, we were supposed to. We had like three trips that got canceled, like mm-hmm. during different conflicts and stuff. Well, I went we I visited since I left. OK, um, so it, in fact, a lot of my memory, I feel like of my home city is not actually my memory from when I was little there, but like sort of my newer memory sort of reminding me of my older memory type mm-hmm. of deal. Um, but yeah, I would, the city where I'm from is a beautiful city. It has not been destroyed. It, it um, has survived many other conflicts where like it's such a historic port city with like there's like a famous opera house there, the Potemkin steps there and, you know, just a lot of like different things that are valuable culturally, not just to Ukrainians, but to a lot of people in the region. And so there's been like where um, in previous conflicts and, and wars and stuff where like Russian troops refused to attack that city. Now, um, during this one, there have been like missiles flying overhead and kind of stuff, but it's been largely left alone. And so, you know, hopefully knock on wood, that continues to be the case. But mm-hmm. yeah, I have more of an affinity for my city than I do for the country because I just haven't seen the majority of the rest of the country. And uh-huh. we left for a reason. I didn't quite have an affinity for the country right. since we left. Um but it's formed a national identity that's gotten stronger since. And and I really would love to take my wife and my daughter to see that city for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is your is your wife Ukrainian? No, my wife is from upstate New York. Oh, as of, am I. Yeah. Hell yeah. The two most important people in your life from upstate New York. <laughs> my, You're almost a combination of me and my wife. Ooh. Dude, this is getting... <laughs> Are you my daughter? <laughs> Just, dude, I don't know. Uh, so, okay. Um, I know we talked about off mic... Because the premise of this podcast is to ask people about their morning routine. Yeah, I was wondering when that one was coming. <laughs> it, dude, it comes up. Sometimes I get so engrossed in the conversation that it never comes up. Yeah. But I'm, I'm getting better about making myself at least halfway through asking it. But I want to ask it because um, off mic, you said it is very much informed by the fact that you're a father. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, it means I sort of have no choice 
at this point. And mm-hmm. like, I work from home now for the most part. I don't have a reason to necessarily wake up as early as I do, but I have to wake up when my daughter wakes up. Sometimes when I have a late night and my wife knows that I came home late from a show or something like that, she's great like that and will handle things for a little bit in the morning. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to and wouldn't make her do that all the time. So my daughter wakes up not that early for a baby and a toddler. She's pretty good. She usually wakes up now sometime between like 6.30 and 7.00. It used to be like 5.30 at a certain time period. And we just have to, you know, when, I mean, the first couple months are really brutal because she actually came a few weeks early. And so she was very small and you had to like make sure to feed her every two, because their stomachs are tiny. So they can't, you know, eat enough to sustain themselves unless they eat every two to three hours. Wow. Yeah. It's like a bodybuilder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's building her body. Uh, She's not on a test, is she? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, son, gotta figure out that gender. Your um, your, da- your baby's got to be natty, dude. Come yeah, on. dude, she's getting yoked. <laughs> um, yeah, but so th- at that point, every two to three hours, twenty four seven for the first couple months. So that mm-hmm. was really like, I mean, obviously more difficult for my wife than myself, but like both of us for the most part were taking turns and making sure every two to three hours she had to be fed, and you know that means somebody has to be awake every two to three hours. Now she sleeps pretty good. She sleeps like yeah, like. 6.45 to 6.45, essentially. Ooh. Yeah, basically 12 hours. And so my morning routine is usually I'm the one that takes her to daycare in the morning. So she gets dropped off at daycare at 8.30. So wake up sometime between 6.30 and 7, maybe 7.15 some days. And uh, first thing, she eats <laughs> three scrambled eggs almost every morning. So I make her three scrambled eggs. Usually she'll have actually like an apple or a banana after that. It's pretty good, solid breakfast. And then 8.30, I drop her off at daycare. And I usually try to either go to the gym right then or do like a walk for like 45 minutes or something. And then I head home. What's what's the gym like for you? Uh, Right now I've been going to Blink. I don't love it. Blink, uh, Blink is like you get to tell yourself you're not at Planet Fitness. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and man, that Blink has had some issues. They had a like a straight up septic leak. Like between the two bench presses, they had a leak of what was obviously like like sewage water. Yeah. This was not a regular water leak. It smelled like shit. Um, they've had like it just sucks. There's there's just a wait. I wait like 10, 15 minutes minimum usually for a bench or a squat rack or something like that. I don't love it. I'm looking forward to uh, switching one day in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, or I do a walk for like 45 minutes or something like that. Ooh, wa- I love walking. I Me too. I for walking, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's probably my favorite physical activity. But... It takes time. It's actually why I have a city bike membership because I like walking places. But if I'm running late to a show or something, I make sure to have the city bike membership and then I can hop on a bike and catch mm-hmm. up if I need to. Terrified of riding a bike in New York City. I don't think I'd ever do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a valid fear. It's safe, safer on a city bike than almost anything else because they're so heavy. You can't like zip between cars the way you would on other things. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you get hit, if you're in a heavier object, you get thrown a little bit less, I think. Um We'll have, to, we'll have to get one of your engineer parents on the podcast to yeah, confirm that. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I've been biking in the city for a long time, so I, I'm not really bothered by it. And I'm a very—I've never had an issue. I'm a very defensive bicyclist. You're not like some bicyclists in New York that have a death wish. It seems. No, and you know what? I have a good handful of friends that have had like serious injuries, and almost all of them ride in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's not—I'm not saying it's always your fault. <laughs> Uh, certainly not, but like a lot of my friends that have had like, you know, a broken bone or whatever else I watch them ride and they're legitimately like, you know, you get doored or something that blows and it's somebody, there's not a lot you can do about it. If you're zipping right next to cars that are parked on the side, you know what I mean? Like you just, A, you have to keep a lookout for any lights or anything like that, but also just like make sure there's always distance. Don't be going crazy fast in those kinds of areas, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, there, there's this um, there's this weird thing where it's like there's a certain type of person. Like I got uh, I got introduced to a subreddit called Fuck Cars, and uh-huh. I think a lot of pe- people on bicycles in New York uh, that that uh, ride 
uh, the way I would describe it is recklessly. Yeah. They, it's sort of this like, uh, militant. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost like I'm being an environmentalist right now by how much I don't look out for cars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I've talked to people like, that. so there's like obvious extreme versions of mm -hmm. that of people that just don't even put two and two together that like, how does your produce get here? Like just <laughs> things like that. <laughs> But on bikes, you know, it's funny because I drive also uh -huh. and uh, I walk, obviously. And it's I do think more so there's like sometimes in people who drive or like fuck pedestrians and among pedestrians they're like fuck cars. Mm -hmm. And then bicycles sometimes for me is the happy medium where I'm just kind of like, we. <laughs> so I will say um, I have probably almost been hit by a car in since I've lived in New York for seven years, I think. Yeah. I think I've almost been hit by a car, I want to say a handful of times, mm -hmm. like where I had to get out of the way or they had to slam on their brakes. Uh -huh. um, I almost get hit by a bicycle every day. Yeah. So, and you know, what? I know where my allegiance lies. Well, it's funny because New York, you know, and I'm all in favor of uh, setting up infrastructure that does make it safer to bike here. Mm -hmm. But you look at a city like Amsterdam or something where it's like a huge bike culture, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just like massive the amount of people riding bicycles. And you'll almost get hit there a ton. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, to them, that's their cars essentially. And so they're like, they got the bike lanes, they're zipping through the bike lanes and like, yeah, it's you better fucking look out when you're walking yeah. around near those things. Which, fair enough. I mean, uh, if you're a pedestrian standing in the bike lane, you're being an asshole. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? of course. I'm a very a big advocate of being a good pedestrian. Or being a good everything. That's being, the thing mm -hmm. people don't realize is that, like, neither form of transportation automatically makes you not an asshole. Right. Let alone an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems... Well, honestly, I think, like, okay, so a big pet peeve of mine is when bicyclists run the red light. Mm -hmm. But I have never seen a police officer in New York or anywhere pull over a bicyclist. So I think it's more of just like incentives. Like if you're in a car, I've seen people get pulled over for running a red light in a car. Yeah. So it's, I think to some extent, it's just like human nature. Like, can I get away with this? Yeah. And also again, like there's, I've run red lights on my bike. I've done it in situations where I feel like I have good visibility and I can clearly see that, you know, I'm just riding through. I've mm -hmm. also, you know, walked across the crosswalk like almost all New Yorkers do, you know, unlike, no, you'll stop. Dude, I get constantly teased for it and perhaps Are you German? so. Um, that is a German thing. Germans have some good ideas. Do not take <laughs> that out of context. But uh, yeah, I don't, because to me it's like, um, all right, like if I'm in a hurry, I've done it. You know what I mean? But otherwise you you will literally wait if there's no cars at all. Well, to and it's twofold. Like One, a fucking tourist. Well, okay. So I think some people's cause some people jaywalk like dangerously. Oh yeah. And I think it's because of this um there's also there's like this um like you don't want to I think People that move to New York or even people that are visiting New York don't want to, quote, look like tourists, right? They uh -huh. don't want to look like a rube. Right, but you they are I mean? rubes, so they're just like fucking playing frogger. Dude, and it, and to me, okay, so two, two reasons I, I try not to jaywalk. One is, uh, for the most part, I don't, like, I'm not in a rush. You know what I mean? I'm not this business go, go, go guy. You know what I mean? Maybe I, I'm privileged to not have a baby. Maybe <laughs> I'd feel differently if I had a baby. But to me, it's like... You ever catch yourself rushing and you're like, I don't have to rush. Right. Like it's almost like, it's like this neurosis thing of like, you can't stand still now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing is like, there's that Louis quote, you should act in a way if, the, if everybody acted that way, things would work out. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, well, if I get annoyed at the bicyclist for running a red light, then I, I guess I also shouldn't run the red light as a pedestrian, so to speak. Yeah. I think that's a good perspective to have. But mm. again, like. You can't really always follow a rigid set of rules. Mm. But yeah, if I see no one's there, I'm going to cross the street, obviously. Mm. But I do like your perspective and I like, uh, I try to do the same as putting myself in a position where I'm not rushing. I think that is important because I think like being late somewhere and being in a hurry, it's very easy to just start justifying being an asshole through, you know, just honking at people when there's no reason to honk mm. or like you know, doing whatever, or you can't help somebody if there's a position situation where somebody might need a quick hand, like 
holding a door or whatever else. Like mm-hmm. it just it puts you in uh, up for success in terms of being a decent person, mm-hmm. leaving a little earlier. I think when yeah the the phenomenon of like people beeping, like right when the light changes green. I had that guy, that and, guy yesterday. And twice. Someone, I was so pissed off. He beat to me twice in a row. And then the third light, I was like just watching him ready. I'm like, if you fucking beep at me, I'm not moving right. And then he didn't. So I started going. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. A war. It was like you... an old guy in a car, too. I was like, where are you rushing to? Yeah, dude. Oh, when when someone's doing it and you look at them and you're like, I could actually beat you up. Yeah. So why that's, not... It's game on now. <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the few people in the city that I can take physically because you're 75. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I always um that that whole like uh, there's a certain type of person, and there's more of them in New York that they're constantly like, ah, like if the train stops for a second and you could see somebody's body physically move, like they're it's like, dude, you should have left the house earlier. Yeah, like I know, I know, like who knows? People live their lives. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, anything's possible. But a lot of the times, it's like, dude, you were sitting on your bed, staring at your phone until the last possible time. Like you calculated when's the latest I could leave my warm bed right. to get to my appointment. Well, maybe if you had left fifteen minutes earlier, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, you would be less neurotic. Yeah, and then when you show up somewhere, you have like fifteen different legitimate excuses for why you're late, but mm. it's because. You time things in such a way that if anything at all goes wrong, right? You're which predictably in a New York City commute it will. And I think like I've had I've had former coworkers like people I work with that are like constantly late, and it's like I almost can't even hide on my face. Like they'll be like the train. I'm like I took the train here too, but you're yeah. constantly late. This yeah. is this isn't a train problem. This is a you problem. Yep. And you know that, and that's what I would say to them. And I was the most popular person in the office. <laughs> no, yeah, it's this. Uh, yeah, the there's there's this. Um, some people I think frame I'm always late as like it, as if it's like, like a, a character thing that happens to them, right? Like like it's like oh I'm an introvert versus oh, extra right. like oh i'm a person that's late it's like that's actually a character flaw you could actually <laughs> do things you could actually take mm-hmm. steps to improve that mm-hmm. yeah for yeah sure i will say back on the subject of a uh, morning person i used to be really a morning person like when i was a kid mm-hmm. um i was like the kid on the bus in the morning like fucking doing goofy raps or something like annoying everybody else who was half asleep mm-hmm. and then i uh started smoking weed oh and that'll and that is and that has shifted things, and I I still do, um, and I take breaks, and I notice a major. Di- that's probably the most major thing because I'm I'm a very functional uh, weed smoker, mm-hmm. and I also smoke to different degrees depending on different phases of my life and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and for the most part, I'm able to function very well. I'm able to be really productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to be relatively social most of the time. It doesn't really like especially if I'm already in a social environment, mm-hmm. but in the morning is where I feel it. I, I notice a big difference when I, especially when I like really take a break and stop for like a month or something, uh, my mornings are like much more sharp. Interesting. So you, you'll take a whole month to like, is it to, to do a reset? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a month that I reset because otherwise it's very easy to get kind of back into the habit if I just take a few breaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't drink a ton. I don't indulge in too many things these days, but I do still like to smoke weed. Yeah, and I think that's fine. Anything in moderation, right? Yeah. Do you have a system where you're like, uh, all right, honey, watch the baby today because I'm getting high? Oh, no, I'm perfectly fine around the baby if I'm smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't smoke before I work out. Generally speaking, if I'm like lifting weights, I don't yeah. smoke before lifting weights. I don't smoke if I'm doing comedy or doing a podcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to. There were there was a couple of years there where I was like getting high before every show. Mm-hmm. And like once in a while, it would be like so fun. I would have some show where I was like, oh, that's, that was great, blah, blah, blah. And then once in a while, it would just be this fucking awkward moment where I was like, that would have never happened if I wasn't stoned, where it was just like, just a bizarre misreading of wavelengths and energies and communication that's happening there where I was like, yeah, if I'm going to take myself seriously in terms of pursuing this, I can't be smoking before doing shows. See, I am fascinated by people that perform either drunk or high because I quit everything before I did stand up. Mm-hmm. So I only know stand up as a sober person, stand up yeah. as a sober person. So like, to me, especially weed, because uh, when I would smoke, it'd be like, 
just the stereotypical like practice what you're gonna say to the bodega guy uh-huh. you know so yeah, i can't yeah. imagine going up in front of a bunch of people for you know however long and be funny you yeah know? i still think i could do it again just because i've have so much of uh, experience being in various uncomfortable situations and not just weed you know in like college and other time periods i've mm-hmm done like you know shrooms and acid and stuff like that where i've interacted publicly with it where mm-hmm. um not that i can take acid and have any sort of interaction where someone won't think i'm an acid <laughs> that's, yeah. that's something that people tell themselves that generally speaking if it's someone that knows what someone on acid looks like mm-hmm. you know something's going on there it's, yeah. it's not that easy to hide mm-hmm. uh but I've had enough of an experience where I feel like with most of those things, I could just fucking psych myself up and do what needs to be done yeah. with a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with weed. I don't have any problem, I think, doing anything specifically. But as a matter of habits, I know it's better not to do certain things. So if people want to see you perform high or sober, how can they do so? Uh, well, they can probably just check out my Instagram where I'll post shows, seeing that this won't be coming out until after <laughs> most stuff that I have uh, booked right now, since we're doing this a little bit in advance. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, go to at the Boris K on Instagram or Boris Hyken spelled. Oh, God. You know, I think actually I still have the Boris K or Boris Comedy as a website. Go to my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Guys, and and worst case scenario, you could DM me, how do I find Boris, and I'll tell you. Yeah, do that. DM Bobby, um, hit on him, get what other info you need from him, and then he'll tell you where my shows are. Hell yeah, dude. And remember, folks, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. (laughs) Is that how you close every show? I'm just playing Night Owls. You know I love you. Thank you.